Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Happiness Is podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison from Happiness Is Egg-Shaped. And I make no excuses that this podcast has largely been set up for me to speak to people I really want to speak to, to heroes, to people that have done incredible things, to people that have inspired me, uh, people that have made me feel something that has kept me coming back for more. And this man has absolutely blown my mind. I use clips of his on YouTube a lot when I teach both in PE and in PSHE to talk about mental, emotional factors, to talk about social factors, to talk about what it means to keep going and words like resilience and adversity and all of those posters and all of those things you see on social media, those words, this guy lives all that stuff. Uh, and he absolutely blows my mind. I am so, so honoured that he has given me some of his very precious time to come and speak on this podcast. I'm not quite sure how to describe him, and some of the things on his website I don't think go close enough. So we'll just begin with, he's a massive hero of mine, and I am absolutely honoured to welcome the one and the only Mr. David Smith to the podcast. Hello, sir. Thank you very much, Bruce. It's, it's great to be with you. And when you say the one and only David Smith, I think there's probably millions <laughs> of David Smiths out there. I wish, it, I wish it wasn't such a common name, but um, it is what it is. It's what I've been given. I've tried to work the best with it. 
Do you know, I was I was thinking this last night and I actually put into Google David Smith and there was something like 16 million entries and obviously that's not people, but I then put in David and there was lots and I put in Smith. But you are absolutely unique. There is no one who can tell your David Smith story. And it it's quite it's quite incredible when you look back at your story from the place you're in now does it does it seem real um it, it's really interesting i i don't know if it's a combination with passing 40 or a combination of having six major surgeries four tumors a stroke being paralyzed but i do find that i reflect quite a lot now i, I try not to I try not to spend too much time in my head, which is which is very difficult to do. Um, with with all you know, there's a lot of noise around us, and it's very easy for us to be pulled into our into our minds and the, the chatter that's going on in there. So I I try not to spend too much time in there, looking back and and thinking, you know, what if I'd made this decision? What if I'd done that? And and it's the same. I I try not to look too far forward either. But um, recently, just you know, I, I have reflected a little bit just on you know, where, where I've come from, what shaped my life, the choices I've made, how I've almost evolved through, through living, you know, and, and I've always been really mindful of through sport, sport is something I've done, but it's not who I am. And I think that's where, you know, as, as athletes, we sometimes get so tied into our identity and, and we identify with, if, you know, for a rugby player, footballer, tennis player, you know, skier, and that's all we have. And we don't actually dive into what our guiding principles our values are and that's a lot of work I've done since being paralyzed and a lot of the time I do reflect is actually when I'm in an MRI scanner um, I remember reading The Alchemist and one of the themes of The Alchemist was you know when when did you know you were alive and I always try to ask that to people you know when when did you really know you were alive and for me it's when I walk that very thin line between life and mortality and for me that's going into hospital so every time I go into a scanner I, I, I it's almost the most I feel alive because I know that that's a very delicate balance between life and death and it's usually in the scanner that I sit and just almost play my life back through just to see things that I've done and where I've been and I don't think it's very special. I think I just had a, uh, I, I, I just had lucky opportunities to take them. I wouldn't say that I'm different to anybody else. I've been tested in a way that um, maybe not many people are tested uh, repeatedly. But you know, some people always say to me, "Oh, I, I couldn't do what you go through," and, and I'd like, "Well, you, you'd be surprised if you know if you were challenged. The human body and the mind is is a pretty amazing thing, uh, and what it can deal with." under extreme pressure but yeah I, I do reflect um usually but only I, I leave those reflections to the MRI scanner and then the rest of the time I try to be really present try to live in the moment and and everything you've just said there I mean we could dive into so much of it that the mind can be a really dangerous place how important are other people then to keep you out of of those thoughts yeah, you know, hugely, hugely important. And I wouldn't say I've tried to cut people out of my life and, and shape my life with, you know, positive people and kind of get rid of all the negative people. But I, I do, I think the closer I've been to death and the more I've had to fight my tumor, my paralysis, 
it, it's really taught me that the one thing that we don't really have much control over is time. And, you know, and you, you'll see, you hear this a lot in, in philosophy websites and people posting on social media about time. And I've always realized, you know, that it's very easy to post something. It's very easy to say something, but to actually live, to actually live by it, it's a whole different ball game. And, you know, and I realized that this year I went to Jamaica and my philosophy to go to Jamaica was to, I wanted to disconnect to connect. So I really wanted to become self-aware of my inner world, but also my exterior world, but more so my inner world. And in, but also the people around me. And it was actually just last night I had the, you know, had the pleasure of someone's company for, for a few hours at the house who came around for, for some, you know, a tea and, and a chat. And, and I realized quite quickly that he was very pessimistic and, and you know, it really affected my energy. And, and that, so I, I, again, it was a reminder that I thought, well, you know, I lost two hours of, of my life in, in this sort of negative spiral about everything that was going on. And, and I realized in life we can be fault finders or merit finders. And if you are a fault finder, you know, you'll find faults in paradise. And, and that's that negative bias that you'll just constantly be stuck in this. You know, everything's wrong. Why is this happening? Why is that happening? Like, nothing's great. And you pick fault and everything. And, you know, it's not that I try to avoid those people, uh, but I know that time is very limited and I try to surround myself with wise people, people who are more merit finding, people who I can learn from and grow from and, and just share good conversations about, not about people, um, but more about the world and just about ideas and, and what's happening. So I like to surround myself with those people. And then ultimately, you know, in sport, they always say the team behind the team. Uh, is is really important, uh, and that's true with any success on the pitch or in the pool or, or wherever it may be. There's a, there's a great background staff, and in my life that has come very much from the hospital, from the nursing staff, from physios, from psychologists. I've I've got I've managed to get all the people I need behind the scenes. That if I need empathy, I know who to speak to. If I need to kick up the backside, I know who to talk to. So people. We're social creatures, and that you know that's been very evident during COVID times. How much people have struggled, and I think that we we need human interaction. It's it's, it's very very important for us. And I used to be very extroverted. I love people. I love into you know speaking with people. But when I was paralyzed, it actually it changed me more into an introvert person because of the disability. I, I really struggled going out. Uh, I was I was very judgmental to myself, and I thought other people were judging me. So I actually really, after a year, a year and a half in hospital and rehab, I, I really struggled to integrate back into society. And, and that's where I, I started to think, well, I, I've, I've become really introverted. And what actually happened is my mental health took a real crash. And it, it wasn't until I did some work with a psychologist and he actually said, look, you're, you're actually an extroverted guy. You, you, know, you, you really like people and you get energy from, from the right people. And I was like, wow, actually, I've, I've kind of locked myself away from the world since my paralysis. And, and it's something I'm trying to change now and make sure that I, that I make time for good conversations. Well, I'm now feeling even more pressure than I did before. <laughs> oh, that I, I, I just love it. Nick. David, I, I didn't know anything about you until that BBC documentary came out. And I can, it was such a moment and there are there are things that happen in life and and in mine where i can tell you everything about that moment and i can tell you everything about watching that documentary my wife was going to watch it and said 
you know, we're watching this. And I, I sat down and watched it, not against my will or anything, just I hadn't had any plans. And we sat down and watched it. Uh, I think we cried. I think we laughed. Uh, I left. Uh, I was on YouTube. I was like, I need, I need to know more about this guy. You just absolutely swept over me. Um, and I, I take so much from watching and reading what you get up to and, and what you've done. Now, it all began quite innocently like it did for any kid but sport was one of the things that you probably that personality you've spoken about found some gratification found some reward there will be people hopefully listening to this who who didn't know david smith well and you know they've found it they thought it was going to be a rugby podcast and i'm speaking to david smith talk us through that that beginning of of life for you yeah, so I, I was born in Dunfermline, and, and when I was born, I had a condition known as talapaces, which was basically it's club foot, and I think one in a thousand babies are born with this, where my feet were sort of fused, kind of not quite fully backwards, but they were they were repeatedly broken, put into special plaster casts and boots, and uh, and you know, so that so that initial start wasn't wasn't great, but. You know, at that age, you're not very conscious of what's going on. You know, you're so young, you don't you don't really remember. But those those seeds are very much planted deep in your subconscious at that time. So you could argue that there was quite a lot of trauma there as a baby. Uh, there was also there is it's not proven, but there's also a question to be asked: Was my tumor actually there from birth? Uh, there was a few times in my sleep I went into into convulsions, and I had seizures, and I stopped breathing, and I was rushed to hospital multiple times. So there, there was a lot of trauma as a youngster at that age, and I think for me that I, you know, I just really struggled to focus at school. I really struggled to to get my my attention into things. Now that you could argue again, I was misdiagnosed with epilepsy. I was put on epileptic medication. If the tumor was there, it sits on the nerve root to the lungs, so it affects my oxygen transportation. So you could say that I could I wasn't breathing correctly. It was maybe the medication. Or you could just say I was a restless child and I didn't, I didn't really like academia. But I loved sport. And we moved up to the Highlands of Scotland. My mom and dad wanted to bring me up in, in the mountains and not in a city. And, of course, it, at that time, it wasn't about winning medals. It wasn't about making national teams. It was literally just the beauty of being outdoors, moving your body and expelling a ton of energy. So my, my parents flung me into everything. It was, you know, there was karate. The big sport there is shinty. You know, I guess where rugby so good, big in the borders in the north, it's, it's you know more we're more sort of directed towards shinty. So shinty was the the main sport in the village, and then I skied in the winter. I went water skiing, windsurfing in the summer, and I just grew up moving my body. And it and you know that that was a real privilege, a real honor to grow up in the Highlands. I think I was extremely lucky to be exposed to that, and it just grew and it sort of snowballed from there. You know, you start to to enjoy one more sport more than another, you find you're maybe naturally talented at one a little bit more than another. And and one thing I've always done in my life is that uh, I realized when I was lying in hospital and I've spent 11 years in and out of ICU and in cancer wards and neurological wards. And through that, you know, I've seen a lot of people take their last breath. I've, I've been around death very closely now for 11 years fighting for my own life, but also meeting people on that journey. And what I really quickly realized is you know, when we're at the end, all we have is memories. And I quickly realized that memories are made from experiences, but it's savoring those experiences. It's not being wrapped up in the outcome or, you know, we've got to win, we've got to win. It's actually, 
it's been present and you know sometimes it's really easy to forget that and I try to remind myself that when I was lying in that hospital bed and I was speaking to the 80 year old sort of man next to me who, who was dying I was saying you know what what wisdom do you have for somebody half your age who's you know hopefully got another 40 years left to live and and most of the people would say, you know, like literally treasure every moment, you know, get, you know, get immersed in things, find things you love, you're passionate about, find your purpose in life and stuff you really enjoy. And, and I realized that sport plays a huge part in that for me. And it's, there's been parts of my life where it was about winning. And I realized when I look back at those parts, I don't think I fully enjoyed them because I was so focused on the outcome, not really the process. And for me, that's a big learning thing because you can still have a great result, but it doesn't have to be so obsessive about winning. And that's what I loved about sport when I was a kid because it was just about fun. And it's like, let's pick up a ball, let's kick a ball, let's you know, go and play shinty. And okay, there was a competitive element there, but it was very much driven by, I actually want to do this. And you hear a lot of athletes now will say, oh, I need to go training. Well, you don't need to go training. You want to go training. So it's changing that inner language. When you were a kid, it's like, I want to go and play football. I want to go and play rugby. And then it changes to, I need to go to training. And I, I love that from, a, from an early age, that sport was very much just about, it, just, it was all about enjoying it. And, and that's where I, I've come full circle back around to that now, where it's, it's, it's back to being in, in, about enjoying it and not about, okay, medals and results and performances. It's just about, being happy and I always think you know happy athletes are, are fast athletes I I'm grinning like an absolute fool here because the the theme that has come from this and the way I verbalize it now and it's taken me a long time to to get this but it's share experience build relationships share experiences and make memories and and you've you've just spoken along those lines and and I've spoken to a few people on this and, and in other situations where I always wonder if professional sports people would play the sport if they weren't a pro mm. so you know the the professional footballer would they want to go for a kick around with their mates for a stag do or in the back garden with their kids or and and I always wonder because sometimes when it becomes your job it if it's your passion and it remains your passion, then you're very lucky. Yeah. But some, like you say, I need to go to training. And that's, there's so much in there. And, and I love that you spoke about moving your body. Um, how, how do you see that has changed then? You were, you grew up in a time similar to me where we did play a lot. Yeah. What, if if you are that guy passing on your wisdom, how do you sell to a parent or a kid? No, no, no. Go go out and play. Go and make. How how do you put a value on a memory that they can't imagine it yet because it's not happened? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. That's a deep question. I think well, these for first are a huge problem, and and we all know this. It's like when someone says, you know. We know what to eat. We know that what good food is, but we choose to to make bad choices because it's just easier. We're programmed that way. And, and I've just that. had this conversation with the boys <laughs> in classes that you know the difference between right and wrong. Yeah. What you then have is a decision to make about your choice and your internal risk assessment. Uh, uh, I'm going to play them this. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and it's challenging because there's there's peer pressure, there's social pressure. 
and also we have a, a negative bias psychologically. But what I, what I try to say to people is that you know all these apps are free: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. They're all free, but there is a cost. And what is the cost? And it and it's our attention. It's the ability to focus. And now I think there's some studies come out recently that show that the human being can now focus on a similar time span as a goldfish. It's down to eight or twelve seconds, which is which is extremely scary. And the great thing with sport is sport is the, you know, sport requires you to focus, but it also requires, you know, the, the, the entryway to flow states is through focus. Focus precedes flow. And then flow states is, is one of the, is getting into a flow state or what's known as the zone in sport is probably one of the healthiest places to be. The, the neurochemistry in, in the brain is, is fascinating under these states. Five of the most powerful neurochemicals, the neuroanatomy that happens in the brain, the shaping of the brain, it's so, so productive and, and, and amazing. Now, as a youngster, when we were growing up, we were getting into these states. We just didn't know what they were called. And we were doing it all the time, and we felt great. You had these endorphins. Uh, but the, the, the sort of opposite side to these states is friction, so the, this resistance of going. And we'll all feel this, and we'll all be aware of it when we and it's back to the, the language we need to go training. You know, we're sat on the sofa, or we're in bed in the morning, the alarm goes off, and it's like, oh, I, I should go for my run or I should get up and move my body, but it just feels so nice in here. That's the friction. That's the brain saying, well, this is comfortable because the brain want, you know, it's a survival mechanism ultimately our brain. So we want to feel comfortable and actually to get out there, the first stage of getting into that flow state is resistance and we need to get over that. And there's, there's been some books out there, you know, people, some psychologists say, just go five, four, three, two, one. And by the time you hit one, you've got to be on your feet out of the bed and you know, everyone's different and it's what works for you. And, and for me, you know, I, I, I woke up at 5.30 this morning and I just went, I'm going on my bike. And if I meet friction, I have the little discussion in my head of back to when I was lying in hospital, when I was paralyzed, when I didn't have a body and how much I would have given just to get on my bike. And at that point, I say to myself, I, I could lose this again i could be diagnosed again i could be find myself back in a hospital and i didn't go out my bike but i also know how great i'll feel for the rest of my day if i do this big thing first if i get out right for a couple of hours i'm going to feel great the rest of my day because of that neurochemical release and i think nowadays you know it's so it's so hard with youngsters because we grew up in a day that we didn't have phones we didn't have that ready access to sit and get the dopamine hits from from technology, we got those hits from going out and playing and playing sport. So it was a lot easier in those days to do that. And I think nowadays we're so up against getting kids off the sofa, off the Xbox, getting them outside. It's, it's so much more challenging. And, you know, what wisdom could I share with, with these kids? It's, you know, I often find that, you know, people will find their own way. You, you can take a horse to water, but it, it doesn't often drink. And I think what we can do is we can we can share our experiences. Um, but you'll know as a teacher, sometimes it falls in death's, death's door ears when you're trying to tell youngsters what to do. And they think, oh, my God, my parents tell me what to do. Here's someone else tell me what to do. So I just try to share rather than I, I never want to say to people, you've got to do this, you've got to go there, you've got to eat this food, you've got to you've got to meditate, you've got to breathe right. I try to say, look, these are the things that I've experienced. This is kind of what worked for me. It might not work for you, but it's it's maybe worth trying. And we all know the benefits of sport physically, mentally, socially, 
And, you know, learning how to lose, I think, is so important. Sport teaches you that. And what I realized, and I didn't realize this at the time, when I, when I, did, I did karate from the age of seven all the way to 18, and I often say now that the reason I can manage and deal with cancer and paralysis was actually all the lessons I learned in the dojo. And, you know, I, I remember emailing one of my old karate instructors and actually my old PE teacher as well. These were two influential people in my life when I, when I grew up. And I didn't realize this at the time, but they taught me so many lessons about values, about resistance, about persistence, about courage, about winning, but being humble, about losing, but being gracious in defeat. And that all came from the sports arena. So all the emotional intelligence, all the lessons that really help you navigate the tough things in life. I didn't learn in the classroom. It was actually in the dojo or on, on the school sports field. And okay, I didn't do very well in my exams, but I learned a pretty valuable life lesson from, from sport. And I've managed to take that all the way through life to be able to deal when you're told, okay, you have a tumor, you might die. To then waking up completely paralyzed when you didn't, when you walked into hospital, they make a mistake. You wake up, you never move again, you never walk again. The mental toughness and the acceptance and the resilience that goes around losing not just your identity, you lose so many other things in life. You're you're now a spinal cord injury patient as well as a as a sarcoma patient, and, and ma managing all of that stuff is. The only reason I could do that was the lessons I learned in sport. And without those lessons, I, I don't think I would have the emotional, physical, mental, spiritual capacity to, to deal with that. Just blow, blow my mind. I, I want you to go and speak to politicians. I want you to go and speak to education. <laughs> I want you to go and speak to... Uh, I, I'm, I'm interested. Flow states one... I, I use you a lot uh, with higher PE and, and formerly National 5 PE. And I talk about mental preparation and emotional preparation and um, talking about things like determination and, and bravery. The other one that I've used uh, is Kobe Bryant, who talks about that flow state. Now, I'm, this is a real sideline, and this is me being really selfish. But Kobe Bryant talks about things slowing down in that state. Now, I completely disagree, and I feel like things speed up. Now, hear me out here. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the clock for how long we've been speaking for, and I'm sad at how long has gone. Mm. There are times where I can be having a chat to someone or watching a movie or playing a game or with my kids, and then all of a sudden I look at the clock and time's gone. Mm. So to me, it actually speeds up. It's just that because you're in that moment, you're able to make the decisions, focus on what's important, and you're so involved with all your senses, all your being, like I think the, you put it much more succinctly, being present, that actually things had been going really quickly because you'd been so absorbed in it. Where where are you on that? Are you Kobe Bryant or Bruce Aitchison? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Bruce. I'm team Bruce now. I you know the, the the founding one of the founding grandfathers of of flow state, uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who was a psychologist who studied, you know, studied why people flourish, what people are doing. They they found that one of the characteristics of flow states was a loss of time. So you don't it's an, a, an unawareness of time, and you find that you know if you 
if you're just resistance and things are hard, time just goes so slowly, it just takes forever. But when you're engaged in something that triggers a flow state in the body, you know, after you get past that initial struggle phase, the, the, the release of neurochemicals then, you, you don't realize, you look at the clock and you're like, oh wow, we've been speaking for an hour or you've been on your bike for an hour or you've swam for an hour or you've, so I, I, for sure the science says that it's actually a loss of, it's a loss of the perception of time. And I think I could understand what he says, maybe when he plays it back in his head, it's like things are slowing down. It's like almost like everything slows down on the court. So he sees it, seen it completely differently rather than things being in a, been in a hurry. And I know that um, Andrew Huberman from Stanford, who runs the Stanford Neurobiology Lab, he talks about different states that the brain and the body can get into. And if you're, you'll find us, you know, if, if you're really stressed and you're maybe late for a plane, it's like time's going too quickly. And, and, but time doesn't move any differently. It's always the same, you know, the seconds don't go quicker. So it's our perception of the situation where if you're bored and you're, you know, you're really safe, you might, time might just go really slowly. So it's our perception. But when it comes to flow states, I, the characteristic that science says is that it's that loss of time. And, you know, that's, for me, that's huge because in that state, it's the only time that I don't feel pain and it's the only time that I'm completely free of my, my disability. So one of my coping mechanisms, I have four, and one of my coping mechanisms uh, is, is sport because it provides a flow, that flow state so easily and so readily. So it's, 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 it's like a drug, you've got a drug. You know, the five neurochemicals that are linked to flow are actually also linked to, to drugs. And, um, and that's why sport is so beneficial because you can actually get that, that same sort of, I don't want to call it a high, but you, you get that mm -hmm. sort of feeling in the body. And that's why also sport's addictive. And that's why a lot of, you know, guys struggle to retire. Retirement is very, very difficult because you need to replace that, that state that the body gets put into whilst, whilst it's in a performance and competitive arena. You spoke about the beginning of loving using your body and you did sports that looked nothing like each other. So there's obviously transferable skills, but also skills that were unique to that situation, it challenged you in that situation. That's the, the physical flow. But people I've spoken to and and I love a changing room. I love, and you spoke about the team behind you. So although in some of the sports you've done, you've been out there on your own, but you know there's the 12 people watching who helped you with that and that and that and that and that. There's a flow state there as well, isn't there? The social interaction gives you a flow. Yeah, and I think that's the, you know, that's that collective goal. So when you're sat in a changing room, you have that collective goal. You all want to go and win. You all want to go and do your best performance. You know, you realize as a back that you need the forward. You know, you need the wings. You need, if you're in an individual sport, you need the physio, you need your coach, you need all these people. So you have that collective goal. And, and then collectively, you get into that flow state. But you'll also know that, especially in a change room, it only takes one person to completely disrupt that. If, you know, if you have somebody, maybe a, you know, a real pessimistic person in there, that can bring the whole energy of the team down. It only does take one person. And again, that takes me back to, you know, I seen this in hospital that I realized in hospital that very, very quickly that, that everyone was very important. And this started from the cleaner. So the first person I would interact every morning with would be usually the cleaner. She would come in, clean my table, 
get me all ready, take out, take away my urine pots that I, because I couldn't go to the bathroom, so I'd have to urinate in a little pot every night. And, and she would come and clean all this up. And that was usually my first interaction in the day. And, and I quickly realized that how important she was in the whole team. And a lot of people kind of forget about her and are focused on the neurosurgeons and the big fish and, you know, the big key players. And I actually thought, you know, if, if my day gets off to a bad start with her, then the whole day is a write-off and I've just lost a day. It's all in bad energy. Then the next person that comes along, I'm a bit grumpy. So I always made a point every morning when she came in, we, we used to engage in a great conversation. It turned out actually she was studying our master's in neuroscience and she was, she was taking a cleaning job in the hospital on a neurological ward to learn. So again, and this takes us back to being more compassionate and not judging people. And you know, and you just never know who someone is and what their story is. So I used to have great chats with her in the morning. She was a key part of my team because she, she cleaned my table and there's a whole other things, you know, that keeps you healthy, but also the clear space and then takes your urine away, which you can sat with all night. So she was a real key person. So I, I really quickly realized that, you know, ultimately getting into those states and getting the body into a good sort of, I guess, optimistic sort of hope state every morning that things were going to work out started with her. And, you know, I often wonder how many other people in the ward was, were looking at it that way. Um, and I would probably, um, I'd probably say very few because it, it takes quite a lot of work to, to get yourself into a position where you can see that. That, that is stunning. And if Alec Ferguson had said that it would have 20 million views on Twitter, but you have just nailed it. And, and I get your point about, you don't know who people are, but you, you didn't treat that person thinking they had another guys you treated that person because it was the right thing to do for you and for them and that gave you something that you know in friends i think is it phoebe sister joey there's no such thing as a selfless act yeah so when you give to charity you get a good feeling so yeah. there's there's a kickback to all these things you getting off to a good start helped her helped you exactly yeah but it was also just the bloody right thing to do wasn't it yeah and i think that's you know again we get pulled into this conversation around identity and we can look and think well you know some i'm a doctor i'm a neurosurgeon or i'm i play for scotland rugby team or i'm a scottish footballer <clears throat> that's what you do it's not who you are yeah. and i shouldn't be friends with you because you've just been picked for the british lines i should be friends with you because you're a loyal funny great guy who's who's you know who who happens to play for the british lions but that's not the reason why we should have our friendship and this is something i really noticed after winning in london that i had all these friends and and then you know they're not they're most of them are actually not with me anymore and, and this was a really interesting thing as i started to realize how the guys who came to hospital the guys who have always kept in touch with me okay, they're, they're not keeping in touch with me because I had a gold medal. They're keeping in touch with me because, you know, I, I'm, I'm a good friend to them based on what my values are. And that's, that's the reason I spoke to her. There was the, the kickback that, you know, an act of kindness is proven scientifically and through positive psychology that it does make us feel good and it's great for our, for our health. And that's why giving to charity and helping people, you're actually almost, it, it can almost be a little bit selfish because you are helping yourself first, but that's okay because, it's important to, to look after yourself as well. And, and I find that speaking to her every day, I didn't speak to her 
for anything else that I, I she she had really great conversation. She was a nice person, but I also seen her merit within the team, and I and I didn't overlook that. And it's funny because um, Alex Ferguson is a big believer in that. He he knew everyone's name. You know, he knew the cleaners' names. He was very much about having lunch and dinner with the players and the staff. There was no border they were all together so he he got that and that's probably a lot to do with you know his upbringing and where he's from he, he always he never forgot where he came from and i think that's sometimes very easy to do when you identify when you hold on too much to your identity especially if you're successful then we can all forget where we where we came from and ultimately we we all come from you know i always think to think we we enter the world on a breath and we leave the world on a breath you know we we enter the world on an inhale and the very last thing we'll do in life is an exhale and and every breath between that we really need to make them count but the one thing we have in common is that we you know we're all going to die and that's that i find that very humbling and and i just don't get really caught up in all of the noise and everything that's around there and for me it's you know, jumping back to how you persuade parents to get their kids active and off technology and get them moving. And you know, when you talk about death, it really freaks people out. And it's like almost this like, no, we can't talk about death. And actually, I, I, I think it's a good thing to talk about. And the Stokes were very much into this. And Marcus Aurelius especially, you know, spoke a lot about if, you know, you need to think if this was the last day you were going to live, what would you do? And I think what we've become very dangerous as humans, especially youngsters, that, uh, you know, they procrastinate, they think, you know, getting to 40 is, that's so long, that's years away. And I, I bumped into a guy the other day who was 20, and I, I think I got him really depressed because he's 20, and I said, you know, mate, you're going to blink your eyes, you're going to be 40. And he was like, whoa, don't, this, is, this is too much for me. And I, and I, and I think, you know, but it's, it's good to connect because if you knew the day you were going to die, you would choose to live your day differently today. And that's the thing I think that was really important. It's probably one of the most important lessons I've learned navigating hospital over the last 11 years is that, that, that you don't have to look at it in a negative way. You look at it in a positive way and say, okay, how am I going to live my life? I have so many seconds in a day. What am I going to do with those seconds? I need to have purpose for everything I do. You know, sitting on your phone, scrolling for three hours, there's no purpose in that. Unless you're doing something that actually grows you, Maybe you're looking for some research or you're looking at things that, that really grow you as a person, then that's great. But if I always try to say to myself, okay, what's the purpose behind this? Why am I doing this? What's the, the why behind it? And, and that, I think, is, is so important. And that's something that being so close to death has taught me to really find that why. Again, stunning. Uh, do you know Tim Minchin, the Aussie comedian, and he wrote Matilda, the musical? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, hilarious guy. I saw him in Glasgow, and, and he started with, okay, everybody, take out your phone. Now turn it off and put it away. You're here, you're at live entertainment, enjoy it. But he, another another YouTube clip I share with, with kids or teachers or whoever get a chance to speak to, and he gives life lessons as a graduation speech. And one of them is he's made some of his biggest decisions of his career based on how the person he's having lunch with treats the waiting staff. Yes, yes. And you've spoken really, I mean, those surgeons will be getting paid a phenomenal amount of money compared but sometimes the bit of the training or the the job they miss is how to deliver the message or how yeah. to make the person feel and you know whether that be a head teacher or a managing director or 
because time is important, which can mean taking time for someone isn't. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Important. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think, you know, I always like to see it as human doings versus human beings. And, and we've, we've become, we've almost moved from being human beings to human doings. And it's just do, 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 do. So if you're the doctor telling people, you know what, you've got six months to live, you've got cancer, right, next. Okay, next person, okay, you've got 10 months to live. Okay, next. They become human doing. And, and we're guilty of just becoming human doings with everything we do. And what happens then is we're not really living where our feet are and we're not being present. And I always think that, okay, you need to do, you need to have actions because that drives us forward. But if it comes from a place of being, then, then you're going to have a much healthier flourish in life rather than being sort of on this treadmill where like, Oh my God, there's not enough hours in the day. I'm, I'm completely a slave to my work. I'm, I'm doing all these things. And it's just do, 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 do. And then you you kind of like hold, it's almost like holding your breath. And then you get to the weekend and you're like, oh my God, I need to drink. I need beer. I need comfort foods. I need, you know, and you go mad. And, and I think that's, you know, really if you start to connect to your philosophy, who you are as a person, what's your purpose in life, what's your meaning, what's your vision, all of these things. And it might sound a little bit sort of airy fairy, but. You know, all the greatest people in the world, the greatest leaders, the people who've, who've lived, you know, real flourishing lives, they do this work. And, and I know this because I lived as a human doing most of my life, completely oblivious to everything, not, you know, not stopping and saying gratitude or grateful or savoring any of these moments until I found myself lying on the anesthetic table, not for the first time, not for the second time. It was the third time going through surgery that I actually went whoa okay i need to start doing this inner work stuff what is this stuff and i need to delve into it a lot more and for me this is the paradox of having what i have is that in many ways the greatest gift in my life was not a medal it wasn't competing on a national team it was actually being diagnosed with a tumor i could go one step further and saying the greatest gift was actually to be paralyzed because i have probably lived more purposefully and in the moment since being paralyzed than I did before. I did more things before. I was very much doing everything and a lot of stuff I can't do now. So I really, it's forced me to be more. And I probably have evolved as a human being, as a person way more since being paralyzed. Like I, I notice every bird noise now. I'm not a bird watcher, but I, I hear all the different birds. It's the first thing I hear in the morning. I, 
I see all the different flowers that are coming. And this is while I'm out training on my bike. When I'm out riding my bike doing a training session. I still notice all the plants, the flowers, the, the, the birds, everything. And I feel that, and I still get the session done like I used to, but I'm just more present in the moment. And that, you know, having the tumor and the spine and the paralysis is, is kind of taught me to live that way. And I just wish that someone had sat me down when I was 15 and told me, hey, you know, this is a good way to live, but I might not have listened. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. And back to a point you made earlier about, you know, I hear somebody else telling me the same thing. Um, I've I've just so blown away by by the whole thing. Now you, I, I can't I don't know how to describe you. Uh, to say Nike athlete doesn't even touch the sides. I mean that's that's got very little in there. But you you're one of these people who has experienced success that is visible. So you're in demand to speak, and people want to hear your opinion. Now, the gold medal allowed you to do that and the success allowed you to do that. But I don't think you stand up in front of the people who, you know, who are desperate to, to listen to you and say, here's how I won a gold medal. No, no absolutely. And, you know, there's the, I have quite a few inspiration for this. That Roger Bannister was a big inspiration for me for this because he actually said the work that he did in neuroscience was more important to him than breaking the four minute mile. And. And I remember listening to that and then Eric Liddell, you know, his, his story, okay, he won an Olympic medal, but there was so much more to him as a person. And, I, and again, I realized that, okay, what, what is my values? What's my purpose? And where in 2010 to 2012, my purpose was I wanted to win a medal. And I did that. But now I never really speak about it because that was my purpose. It was my thing. But it's not anyone else's. I can share it if someone wants. Sure, if someone wants to hear the story of what it was like, I I can share that. But I feel that that um, when when I speak to people or when I share things, I think you know what what's been the best thing in my life to help me evolve as a person. For sure, it's spending the living years on oncology wards, on in radiation rooms, in ICU, and neurological wards, and people are like, well, that's a bit morbid. Actually, I've I've learned how to live. I've learned what it's like to be a compassionate person, a nice person. I can still do all the same stuff with, with sport, but I feel that, that for me, that's so passionate. And my purpose now is just to try and make a more compassionate society and for people just to, you know, for people to see what a beauty and a gift that life is. And I know people go through hard times. I'm not saying that we don't, and, and that's part of life. I have hard days. There's days where I struggle to get out of bed and I'm thinking, oh, God, this is this is tough. We all have that. And, you know, Viktor Frankl spoke very poignantly in Man's Search for Meaning, which I think a book that we should all read, that, um, you know, if you know your why, you can withstand any how. And I think that's so important. If we actually unravel that and delve into that, I think there's so many people don't really know their why. And they're, you know, they, they have all these different other coping mechanisms. And then that's met with a society that judges them and they judge themselves. So it's very, very hard. And I always try to do, you know, I, I, I'm very, very lucky to be a, be a Nike athlete. I, it's one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me in sport. And I, and I absolutely love it. People often ask, what is that? You know, what do you do? 
and and I said, you know, I, I do lots of different sports. I'm, you know, I'm learning to surf at the moment. I'm cycling. I'm swimming. I, I have dreams of maybe trying to do an Ironman to, to race my bike, but to go and do some surfing stuff and all these different things. And, but when I go and try and engage with people and speak with people, I try to talk more about the philosophy, about the neuroscience, about positive psychology, about how to, you know, alter states within your body. Because ultimately, you know, for you to get the most out of your life, a little bit of self-awareness of what's going on internally and exteriorly will help you achieve your goals. And your goals might not be winning a, a, a medal at a world championships or a games. And, and also what I find when I used to speak about this to people, that it, it's, it's something that very few people get to experience. So people can be inspired by it and they think, oh, this is great. But then after your talk, what do they do with the inspiration? They just go away and say, well, that was a, nice, that was a really fun story. But, you know, that was Steve Redgrave. I can't, that's, yeah, I can't win five gold medals. That guy's a superhuman, but actually he's not. He's just like everyone else. This is, but this is what he did and he was very successful at, for all the different things he did. And what I realized is like, well, what can I do? bring to the table and I can thought well actually I can share what it's like with the medical stuff and really dive into that so then people can then really relate to that because this is something that can happen to anyone you know a spinal cord injury could happen to anybody tomorrow literally any one of us who's listening to this could wake up tomorrow be great by the weekend be paralyzed not to be install fear into everyone but that's the reality of it and you can see this over the last three years if we list high profile sports people who are now paralyzed ed jackson pete reed matt hansen you know all these people that have suffered life-threatening conditions and they've had to, they've been extremely challenged and they've used sport and everything they've learned in sport to deal with that and I, and I find that fascinating. And I, I, I chat to Ed Jackson quite a lot about this and about how we manage our injuries. And of course, there's low days, there's bad days and, and how, we, how we move forward. But So for me, I thought actually to have the, a bigger impact with people is to actually try and, and share that knowledge with people. And, that, and that's where I find my new purpose now. And, and Nike sort of helped me facilitate that is that, you know, to sit with people and say, okay, this is the reality of life. It's not being pessimistic or optimistic. It's about saying, okay, these are the things that can happen. I hope that you go through your whole life and never see a doctor. I would love nothing more than that for you. But if you do, here's some of the things. And also, here's some things you can do that might not, that might prevent you seeing a doctor. You know, learning how to breathe right, sleep hygiene, choosing good foods, exercising, all these different things. So for me, yeah, I don't, and I can't even remember the last time I actually jumped on a podcast and talked about winning a medal. <laughs> so. <laughs> and so where did that come from? Was that just the ignorance of youth? Was that the adulation that you felt would be attached to it? Was that the key to lifelong success? What was the dry? And I mean, London 2012 for British athletes, for spectators like me, I, I, back to those moments, when Jessica Ennis crossed the finish line, I was driving round and round Midlothian trying to get my youngest to sleep. So I listened to it on Five Live while my wife was at home watching it unravel on Super Saturday. You know, London 2012 created relationships and built experiences and, you know, memories. I was there. I watched beach volleyball. I went to the athletics. I watched the hockey. 
amazing thing and we still i think are hankering for can we have london 2012 back again so yeah. were you just swept up in the wave yeah and i think you know closer to home glasgow did exactly the same thing in 2014 uh i was actually diagnosed with my second second tumor the day of the opening ceremony of glasgow and i remember i worked there as an ambassador and i remember traveling down getting told i had another tumor i needed multiple another surgery and i came outside and the triathlon was on the tv and i remember the tears rolling down my eyes and i, I remember phoning john doy who was the chef division and i said oh, you know, I'm, I'm coming back up to scotland and i jumped on a train and came back up to you know to experience the the commonwealth games and just get immersed in it and i didn't have that opportunity in london because i was there competing so there was a pressure to perform and win so i kind of missed a lot of that stuff and in glasgow I got to experience it from this other side. And it was actually, for me, it was more fun being the spectator than being the athlete because I, I got to experience all the different sports. I, I, I also knew what it was like for those guys to, you know, to step onto the podium, that, that moment that you just kind of want time to pause. And, and ultimately, I think, again, in London, I was probably a bit naive. I was probably a bit young. I hadn't been through real adversity i thought okay i'd had one surgery i'd had a spinal stroke i'd almost died but it was, <laughs> i don't think yeah that, you hadn't been through much it had been know, pretty easy up till then yeah I, well, I certainly if i knew what lay ahead at that point it, it definitely wasn't such a big thing but at that point it was but i think also i it hadn't i hadn't had time for it to sink in and you know any trauma that we're met with we we move something known as the cooper all stages of grief and the first one is denial and i'd actually i think spent probably a good five years in denial maybe even 10 years in denial until i actually fully admitted what's actually going on in my in my body but i look back now and i, and I do i can see it very clearly and i can relive it in my head actually this year was the first time i actually put a photo from london on my wall because i realized how special that actually was it's taken a long time for me to be well, okay, that was actually a really special thing to, to have been part of, to have done. I kind of assumed at that time I'd probably go to other games and then I realized that I'm probably never going to go to another one. Uh, so it made it even more special. But again, I, I always think I don't want to identify with that. I don't want to hold on to that. That was just something I did. It was a, an amazing experience. What it did do is it, I guess it gave me an opportunity then to, to share the deeper stuff. And, and the deeper stuff for me was, it means more to me because I didn't do very well academically at school. You know, I left with no grades and I'm now, I've just now been accepted onto a master's program in sports psychology. So for me, that means so much to me because I didn't do well at school. And, and I said, the day I got, I got my letter to say, look, you're on, you're on the sports psychology program. I thought, wow, you know, what you do at 16 doesn't define you for the rest of your life. So if you do mess up exams, it, it really, you know, it's not the end of the world. A amen absolutely yeah. amen and i have been involved in education for a long time uh, while i want people to do well in exams i also want people to realize that there are many many choices and options going to one of my other huge influences the movie cool runnings the coach says if you're not enough without it you'll never be enough with it talking about the medal and, and going to the olympics is that is that just too mature can you not see that when you're younger yeah that's you know i think that's a hard one i think some people do i've, I've met very very enlightened people at a young age and again i've met people who can be in their 60s and they're still not enlightened uh you know you could 
argue that there's a nurture nature element to it. Uh, I do find it interesting for those, you know, it's that G3, isn't it, generation? The first generation makes the money, the second generation manages to hold on it, and the third generation just blow it. And they can't live up to their grandfather's prestige of who yeah. that man was. And you can see a lot of people in that situation. And there's definitely, you know, it's interesting when you start to read about people who have had challenges, you know, they've, how they've come through them, they fought. We all know the road to success is not a straight line. And, you know, Chris Hoy speaks about when he lost the world title. Actually, that was that was a great thing for him. He came back the next year stronger, so he had experience in it. And there's a lot of research around early success and how early success can be very detrimental and long longevity. And and I think that you know it's so hard uh, for me. I, I look back and you know I came through yeah, a lot of trauma with my health early on. Learned how to lose. Learned how to win all of that stuff shaped me as a person and I probably just wasn't ready to deal with that sort of level of philosophy at 20. Uh, but, but I am now, but I could go out today and meet a 19 year old who is, who is super enlightened and, and, and is very aware of what's going on around the world and, you know, reads a lot of books. You know, I didn't really read a lot as, as a kid. Um, and now, I spend most of my time reading and, and learning from books and learning from others. And I think it's just, it's just changed. And that was in 2016 when I was lying paralyzed in hospital and I couldn't move my body. And this was the first time that I couldn't move. So that physical physicality of going skiing, whatever it was, sir, I'd, I'd lost that ability point. I only had my mind and I was like, well, let's not focus on the fact I can't move. Let, let's train something that I've never really explored before. Let's delve into, you know, starting to pick up books and read books and listen to things. And I think that's the great thing with, with the technology nowadays. Okay, we, we hit on it earlier on saying it's a bad thing, but actually if it's used in the right way, there's a wealth of knowledge at your fingertips nowadays where we, we didn't have that as youngsters. So, you know, for us to to get access to all of this stuff, it was a little bit more difficult. But nowadays, we, we can access all of it really quickly and, and learn so much. And and again, I, I love that about my injury. It's, it's almost given me time to actually sit down and, and, and read a book and, and learn from that book and question it and grow. And it's something that, I, that I'm very grateful for. So something I'm thinking, listening to you, to, to go on to this psychology master's, I'm not thinking you want to do this to become a psychologist. I'm thinking you want to do this for your own learning, progress, and enlightenment. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to be a psychologist. It, for me, it was a. It's a challenge to to go and do a master's. I, I, it scares the hell out of me. <laughs> but I always realized that you know it's good to lean into your fears it's good to challenge yourself and what's the worst that can happen i'm not going to die if i fail an exam it's you know it's but putting yourself out there is very very important and you know if, if things don't go well then you deal with it at the time but for me it's it's a personal journey i think what i will learn on the course will help me grow as a person it'll help me live a more flourishing life but also if i'm living a more flourishing life and i'm growing as a person then i can I can contribute to society at a much greater level and I can help more people. So when I go to speak at a school or a university or a business, I can tell people about my personal experiences about coming through 
tumors, spinal cord injuries, but then I can actually, but I also know that some of the stuff will be backed with academia and I can pull things in and say, well, actually, the reason that I did this in the hospital bed is actually because of this and, and understand it. And that's one thing I wanted to understand because people kept saying to me, oh, why have you never given up? You know, why would you give up? Why don't you give up? And, and I was like, well, I'm as stubborn as my tumor. My tumor's not given up and I'm not giving up and we have this battle that, I started to I think, oh, why? Why? What's the what? What's in my head that makes me not give up? And that's where I started to become, you know, one of the greatest things we can have in life is curiosity, to be curious, you know, curious about things. And that's what's great about a kid. You know, kids are so curious. And then we, we kind of lose that as we grow older because society beats it out of us. And I, I love that. And I've been, you know, when I sometimes go to primary schools, you ask, has anyone got a question? And 30 kids put up their hands. You yeah. go, and, and the more you get older, no one puts their hand up and no one wants to ask a question. And, you know, because it's like people are scared to ask a question. They don't want to look stupid or they, you know, they don't want to be told, oh, that's, you know, that's wrong. So we get programmed into this, this sort of where we let fear overrun us. And that's the reason I want to go and study. So I can become a better person for myself, but I feel that if we become better people individually, then that has a knock-on effect to, to society. Yes, 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 yes. I, I love it all. And that's something I say to, to boys often is that I, I, or I remember when Donald Trump got voted in the first time I was working in another school and uh, a Muslim girl came to me the next day devastated and told me she could never go to America and and we spoke about life and about America and various things and and I I really felt because I couldn't have possibly anticipated her feeling how how could I um and the point I was trying to make to her was if we can make our little bit of the world better and if everybody did that how much better it would be. I said, I know people in America, you you could go and you can go to New York and walk the streets. You can go to Chicago or Philly or wherever you want. I said, it's it's not a no entry sign. Absolutely not. And there are so many good people there and there are good people everywhere. But unfortunately, there are also, I think your polite way of putting it, we're pessimists or whatever else it might be. And that's so powerful. And about children asking questions, and I, I tell this story far too often, but if you ask a kid if they can sing, they all say yes. But if you ask their parents, lots of them would say no. Mm. But we can all sing. Whether you want to listen to me sing is a different matter, but I can sing and I do every day as you probably do. And as yeah. people listening to this have probably been whistling or singing or mm -hmm. everyone can sing, but there comes a point where a kid stops asking a question, stops singing, doesn't think they can play football, can't try a new sport because they weren't very good at the last one. So your point about a personal journey, so many of these things for me are tying up and I, I want you to become first minister, please. <laughs> um, you know, the if we take care of the personal journey and it is personal and while I might have an opinion on what I'd like my kids to do, actually mm -hmm. it's their journey. Mm -hmm. And then if they can contribute positively, the kickback they get from that is immense. Yeah. So in your role, in the, the many different hats that you wear, has there, has there been moments where you thought that's somebody I would follow or there's a role model or that story needs to be told? Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think one great thing in life is that we should all have mentors. 
You know, we I think that's so so important. Some of the greatest people I know in life, you know, have mentors. You know, people who have done like double Harvard. You know, worked on Wall Street, Goldman Sachs, still have mentors, and then they their mentors have mentors. And and I think that that is so important. And someone who strikes me, who's who's kind of wraps this up beautifully, is John McAvoy. So John McAvoy, you know, prolific armed robber as a youngster, uh, grew up in an environment that was very much against the system. But you know, had a had a sawn-off shotgun in his hand at fourteen, got caught, went into a life in prison in a, in solitude. You know, he was at the highest level of security security prison. In that cell, he breaks three world records or four world records on the rowing machine. John McAvoy is now a professional Nike athlete, going back to the schools, going back to kids, going into the government and saying, look, here's the power of sport. I grew up in an environment, this, is what, this was the people around me. These were my role models. These were my mentors. Look what happened to me. But I managed to change, and now I live this life where I'm inspiring others to change. And I think there's a powerful lesson in there, again, about not judging somebody. You know, like literally, here's a guy who's made a mistake, but he's done right by his mistake, and now he's trying to educate others. And again, if John had had the right mentors and the right role models at 14, he, you know, he could have gone on to, to greatness in sport at a young age. But that wasn't his journey. He wasn't meant to do that. He's meant to be doing what he's doing now which is trying to change others and other sort of people and not making, you know, not going down that road. And it's not saying that, uh, you know, if you speak to a young kid and he wants to be a footballer, a lot of people go, oh, you can't do that. The success rate is so you're never going to make it. But yeah. <laughs> he, could be, he could be a development officer. He could be the coach that finds the next Raheem Sterling or, you know, closer to home, you know, Ali McCoy. He could be the next person who finds an Ali McCoy or whatever, you know. So it's, you know, I think we're so quickly to say to people, well, you can't do that. That's too hard. It's impossible. And then it just deflates them. And it's like back to your analogy about can't sing, can't do this, can't do that. And then like, well, there's no point in me trying anymore because I can't do it. So I, I, I have tons of mentors. I, you know, I listen to a lot of different podcasts. I, I, I have mentors in, that I found in performance psychology that I really liked what they were saying. And I thought, you know what? You don't even know me and we might never meet, but you're going to be my mentor. I'm going to listen to you every morning. And in my morning routine, I put on these podcasts, I put on these audio books and I listen to them and I learn from these people. And, and I, you know, I don't pick up a book and, and read it if there's not, for me, purpose behind it. So why would I read The Alchemist? Well, I, there's so many life lessons in there. That's why I'm going to read it. It's not for everybody, but that's why I read it. And for me, I think that is super, super important. And actually, this goes all the way back to, you know, one of my first mentors was my PE teacher. I didn't see it at the time, but he was a very powerful mentor to me. And I, and I think this is, this is so, so important in society for youngsters, especially if, they're, if their home life is not, is, you know, if they're maybe a single parent or they're struggling at home, the, the teacher then has a huge role. The sports coach has a huge role and they, and they can be very influential mentors. So that's where they've got to be very mindful of the language they use around you know, it's not saying everything's positive. Let's all just be positive people. It's it's realizing and accepting the situations we're in, but let's not be fault finders. Let's work on being merit finders and, and seeing the good and encouraging people to do their best, you know, and, and not everyone's going to be an Andy Murray, but if you try your hardest and you even become, you know, maybe 30th in Britain at tennis, 
you've learned so many great skills that will see you through the rest of your life. And I think that's where sport has a really important role to, to open its doors to people and say, you know what, come along. doesn't matter what age you are, what color you are, what shape you are, come along, enjoy it. Okay, if you win a medal, that's fantastic. But if you don't, the worst that's going to happen is you're going to make some great friends, like-minded people, you're going to grow, they're going to challenge you, become curious about what you can do as a person. And I think that's where you know, sport is a really important role in society to play. And I think, you know, what John McAvoy speaks a lot about is where are the youth clubs now? Where are the, the inner sports clubs? You know, everyone keeps trying to, you know, only last night there was another 16-year-old killed, kid killed in London from a stabbing. Yeah. You know, why was he not at a sports club? Why was he not in a boxing gym or on a rowing boat? You know, there's, I think if you want to fix this problem, let's just create more sports clubs okay sports not for everyone there's a whole host of arts and music and everything but i think that sport and moving your body whether it's fitness or you know a lot of people laugh oh you know cheerleading and pole dance that's not a sport or break dancing is not a sport but it is it's 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 getting youngsters into something giving them purpose giving them meaning and you'll see that anywhere in the world if you build a skate park the kids are going to look the kids are going to look after it they're going to learn how to skate. They're going to learn how to fall and get back up. There's so many lessons as a kid if you fall over and damage your elbow or your knee to be able to get up, patch yourself together and go on again. You know what? If you're diagnosed with cancer when you're 30, those lessons you learned in the playground are going to serve you very well. Yeah, uh, I just I just love it. Jerry Seinfeld has a great series called Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. And there's a little bit in it where he says, skateboarders are going to be okay. <laughs> and it, yeah. and it's so true. Just that thing you've described, they, they're creative, they're daring, they show courage, they're a community, they have their own vocabulary, they have their own fashion, they, they try, they fail, they keep going, they get it right you know what, I'm going to try something else or I'm going to put my own twist on it. And I, I just, it just a really short thing. He just said, skateboarders are going to be okay. Prime example, Danny McCaskill. Yeah. I, I, Danny McCaskill lived in Aviemore for a long, long time. And I remember I'd be driving to the gym and I'd be seeing him and Nash doing their tricks on, on, on outside Tesco. And the majority of people would be like, oh God, you know, these bikers, uh, look what he's done. Yeah. Look, he's not just done for himself, but what he's done for every kid who picks up a bike. How many kids have picked up a bike because of Danny McCaskill? And and all those people are yeah. now telling I used to see Danny McCaskill in Tesco. I saw yeah. I saw him first. Yeah, I saw it's, it's like when you see a comedian in the back of a pub. Oh, I, I, he's on TV now. I remember seeing him in the pub. Yeah, but you were heckling him when he was in the pub. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's where it's so important that we you know, you encourage youngsters to to follow their dreams, follow their passions. Okay, if it doesn't work out, it's okay. But for me, you know, we only have one life. And okay, some people don't have a choice. There's Maslow's needs. We have to put food on the table. We have to, you know, I understand that. I'm very compassionate about that. But if we are, if we can shape choice and we can shape and have some form of control, you know, it's it's to do something you're passionate about. That, that serves some sort of purpose and you know, Harvard did an, an amazing study it was one of the longest studies in the world I think 75 years and they followed people for 75 years and how, how they flourish in life and the people who really flourished and were the happiest were people who really found sort of I guess passion and purpose in their life and and meaning to their life and I know that kind of sounds all a bit hairy-fairy no. and and again it's it's stuff no. that you, you can't just do it once like people often tell me oh gratitude doesn't work I tried to say it didn't work this is not, it's a, it's a lifestyle 
change. You have to see it every day. You have to write it down every day. It's not it's not something that you can just be like, okay, well, I'm going to think positive today. Oh, that didn't work because I had a really rubbish day the next day. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, you, the, the inner work that you do should be as important as the, the physical work. And, you know, that can be, it's funny in sport because sports psychology can be portrayed in certain different ways. And, and you know, certainly if you're a big macho guy, you're like, well, I don't, I don't need to work on my inner stuff. And I think that if you, you know, it's like the empress, if you, the emperor, if you take off the armor, then the emperor's naked. He's just like every one of us. And every one of us is human. Every one of us has emotions. Every one of us has an inner narrative. And every one of us at some point has faced some form of trauma. We've had loss. It might be loss of a loved one, a girlfriend, a husband, a mum, a dad. So we've all had things happen to us which all affect our performance. And that's where, okay, it's not having to sit on the couch every day and open up and cry, but it's about exploring that. And I that's where driving back to the conversations that people I like to have in my life. I, I like to have conversations with people who are willing to explore their beliefs, not defend them. And that's so poignant right now. If you log into social media, everyone's arguing about Brexit. Everyone's arguing about COVID. You know, I'm like, that's just the, it's your belief. You're entitled to your belief. But if you're not willing to explore it, then I, I don't want to argue with you. Life's too short. Yeah. Uh, David, just and t- passion is another word. I, and please don't ever say it's airy fairy because, to me, that's that's the gold dust. And and if we can ignite, and it's it's igniting it. Yes, a bit like you talking about. I give a speech, but there has to be a way to keep it burning. And and that's something that when kids do course choice or uni choice, it's like right. But are you going to love that? Are you going to like choose something that you're going to really enjoy doing? Because we tend to be good at stuff we enjoy. So if you're good at gaming, you will do more gaming. And while that gives you one thing, you got to accept that it's going to maybe take away another. If you are good at rugby or cycling or sport or music or drama, or you'll do more of it. And that's where the environment becomes so important. David, I'm, I want to keep you for much, much longer, but I'm really conscious okay. of, of time. Um, I, I now know how I'm going to introduce you, so I'm going to go back and re-record it. You are a mentor to me. Oh, uh, you. You're somebody I watch, somebody I read, somebody I listen to. Uh, when you went quiet for a while, I was really worried, and you know this because you can scroll through your LinkedIn messages, me saying, are you still there? Are you okay? What's going on? Because you... I I shared your story with a class when I was head of PE and you were about to go in for your operation and you did your video going through the doors and you said how much you hate going through the doors and, I, and I'll never forget. And I, the girl has now gone away to study to be a teacher. Um, and I remember her saying to me, Mr. Aitchison, how's your friend? And it was amazing to say to her, he's, he's come through, he's away. It was it was. It was brilliant, and you've you've done so much to so many and people that you're probably never going to get a chance to do this with, and I feel very lucky for that, so thank you. But we finish with, and I'm intrigued as to where this is going to go, but for you, David, happiness is? Compassion. As compassion, cool as you like. Compassion for yourself and compassion for others. Everyone's got a story. So before you judge and say, I don't like that person, 
know their story. If something happens to you as a reaction of someone else, whether it's road rage or someone not being nice to you, before you react, there's always a stimulus and a response. It's the pause between stimulus and response where we find compassion. And I should never have doubted, but an absolutely stunning finish. Thank you so, so much. I have massively enjoyed this. I think this is possibly going to be the longest pod of the lot. So congratulations. I apologize. I apologize. No, do not ever do that. Uh, and I hope that when you go into the next one, you're not going to be telling the story of this guy that you wasted an hour with. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. No, this, is, this has been great. And I think that we, we've been in a flow state for, for the whole time. Oh, that is, I'm keeping that one. Sean, clip that for me, please. That's going to be my every morning, every morning to get me going. <laughs> David Smith, thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. And uh, it's been great to connect. Thank you. Finally, finally. <laughs> finally. It's been a while, but we got there. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm not sure. I am seldom speechless. Uh I'm a hard man to have a 10-minute conversation with, but to sit back and to listen to my mentor, but one of my many mentors, and, and some have been on here and, and more will hopefully agree, but I have waited a long, long time to speak to David since I first watched that BBC documentary. If you can find it on YouTube, I'm going to share it. YouTube clips are stunning. Uh, when he speaks, please listen. There are so many messages in there that... Uh, challenge hopefully maybe reinforce open the mind broaden a little bit i i have loved it um let's build relationships share experiences and make memories you heard it from him and he's he's far better at expressing it than i am wow uh you can catch us on apple spotify and acast please subscribe leave a review if you've enjoyed it uh by all means, leave some comments and, and we'll see what we can do with them and if we can interact. You can also watch on YouTube and Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube and, and leave some comments. And if you've got any suggestions for future guests, I'm always willing to listen. And what's to be lost by asking, they can only say no. I have had a, ah, just an amazing time. I've absolutely loved it. You've, you've, you've done it, David. Congratulations. You've made me babble and speechless. Uh, my name is Bruce Aitchison, and today my happiness is 100% egg-shaped. I look forward to speaking to you all again soon. Thank you. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And, and our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry shampoo, Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.